Welcome to another episode of An Inside Look. Today, Choi and I have the opportunity to interview Jillian Palmer, a physiotherapist that runs an extremely unique practice focusing on women's health and rehabilitation of the, of the pelvic floor after pregnancy. She's excited to tell us about how she discovered her professional passion while maintaining an extremely busy lifestyle as a mother of four. Her passion and dedication to women's health is truly inspiring, and I'm excited to hear about her journey. episode of an inside look. Our guest today is Jill Palmer, a physiotherapist with tremendous passion for women's health. Her practice at Bounce Back Physical Therapy focuses on rehabilitation of the pelvic floor and utilizing body's own inherent ability to heal. She's passionate about educating women about their bodies and allowing them to bounce back after pregnancy to step onto the next chapter in their lives. Welcome, welcome to Jillian. Thanks Thank for coming you. in. No, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, I am an alumnus of university. So these are the University of Alberta. These are my old stomping grounds. Um, I graduated in 2008 from my undergrad in honors in neuroscience. Then I graduated um, in 2010 um, from the Faculty of Rehabilitation Medicine with a master's in physiotherapy. I worked for several years just as a general practitioner, orthopedic physiotherapist um, in the community for a few years um, before I kind of found pelvic physiotherapy and I've been doing that for the past several years. I'm also um, a mom of four small children at home. So yeah, I'm a physio, I'm a mom, I'm a woman. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's a busy lifestyle, yeah. but it sounds like for yeah, sure. Yeah, it is. Was uh, women's health something that you saw yourself doing right in school as well? You know, it was always kind of on my radar. Um, in Frankly, in physiotherapy school, I think it's a little bit different now, thankfully, but we got about an hour seminar on women's health, and then there was also an elective that you could take, which I did. Um, so it was kind of on my radar, but it wasn't until I had my own experiences going through pregnancy, um, birth, postpartum, recovery, my own experience with pelvic dysfunction that I kind of found um, pelvic physiotherapy. And, um, and since then, it's become something that I'm really interested in. But I guess it was kind of always on my mm -hmm. radar. Yeah. yeah, but I didn't pursue it right out of school. So you were talking about you know, your, your experience in the you know, orthopedic field, mm -hmm. right? And then there was something that happened that made you make that make that switch over like was there was there an event that had happened like, my first birth <laughs> it was my first birth frankly so um i had a very healthy pregnancy with mm -hmm. my first one um i was you know kind of a, a young fit healthy woman who got pregnant for the first time um for lots of women frankly that is their first kind of experience with the um like kind of medical community outside of just checkups with your doctor and you need uh, medication for an infection or something like that, right? But really, um, you know, dedicated, scheduled care um, and then going in hospital, um, admitted to hospital, that's, that's lots of times um, your first experience with it. And it was for me. So I had uh, uncomplicated um, pregnancy, 
a relatively uncomplicated birth, just he was really big. Mm-hmm. And um, and I experienced some pelvic dysfunction after um, after having him and getting back into my regular life, which included um, working out and physical activity and that kind of stuff. And, and it's really quite common, way more common than anyone rightly thinks. And it's not something that people are asked about postpartum. Um, and so that was something that is something that I'm working on, um, you know, kind of trying to change is a change the conversation about, um, you know, the, the need for women to get back into really quite intense physical activity when the body is still going through so much in terms of hormonal changes if you're still breastfeeding and you're sleep deprived and all kind of stuff so anyways long story short i had a big baby i um experienced pelvic dysfunction and for me it was stress urinary incontinence so uh getting back into running and jumping and, and that kind of stuff my pelvic floor was not able to keep me dry the whole time and so i found pelvic physio i was a patient of pelvic physiotherapy went through that um, was able to rehab, got pregnant again, did the whole thing again, got pregnant again, did the whole thing again. Um, and so, and so, yeah, that is, that's kind of the thing that did it for me was my own experience and then seeing how it's the same for so many women. Um, but we're just not, we're frankly not really, um, asked about it, um, and provided with any information on, how there is really high quality and high um, effectiveness treatment for it. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. Like that's, I think that oftentimes our experiences really shape our practice as mm-hmm. healthcare providers, right? Because we, um, you know, it's it's one thing to to empathize, but when you're when you're actually placed in those shoes, mm-hmm. right? It's 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 a game changer for sure. You mentioned a little bit about how, you know, women right now are not being asked these questions, right? Like, what would you like to, I guess, like, what would you, if you could change the healthcare system to, to have these questions asked, like, like, how would you change it? Like, mm-hmm. when, when yeah. would you ask? So questions? there's a, there is, so we were talking a little bit about mm-hmm. that continuum of care, mm-hmm. right? So pregnant women are followed throughout their pregnancy um, by their birth care provider. So that could be a... Um, family doctor, that could be an obstetrician gynecologist, or that could be a midwife. So you're followed through your pregnancy, um, and then postpartum, you have a standard six-week appointment with that birth care provider, and they ask you a series of questions. Um, For example, how is breastfeeding going? Do you need, do you require um, medical birth control? Um, how is mental health because um, postpartum mental health is a really big deal Um, lots of women struggle there and so what I would change is just like you're asked all those standard questions you would also be asked um, are you leaking on the way to the bathroom are you leaking with coughing sneezing laughing Um, do you have any sensations of pelvic floor heaviness or pain Um, is return to intercourse something that is Either you have done and was extremely painful, or you've not done 
can't think about doing, there's no possible way that you think that your pelvic floor can um, accommodate intercourse again. So those are those are some things that women are struggling with. Mm -hmm. Their rates are really, really high, and we're not asked about them at all by our medical professionals. Mm -hmm. um, and those are topics, frankly, that are not easy to talk about. Not so sure. so women are not going to say, oh, hey, doctor, um, I'm really having trouble with X, one of those things that I just talked about, um, because it's embarrassing. And so it really is on the, the professional to initiate that mm -hmm. conversation. And it's something that you've alluded to for sure of your discussion here, but um, what role do you think does mental health actually play in dealing with the injury, with the, mm -hmm. um, as you mentioned, some women are embarrassed with the embarrassment, mm -hmm. with the pain even that they may be experiencing? Yeah, it's, um, they're inextricably intertwined, mm -hmm. frankly, um, particularly with birth trauma. So birth trauma can look like a lot of different things. On one end of the spectrum, you can just have, you know, a beautiful birth, frankly, but it wasn't at all what you were expecting. Mm -hmm. um, so that could be considered traumatic for some people. On the other end of the spectrum, you can have um, really quite significant perinatal tearing. Um, you can have, you know, you labor for a long time, your baby gets stuck, they use forceps, they use vacuum, still, nothing's happening, baby's in distress, mom is in distress, and they take you for an emergency C-section, right? So, so there is, there's a lot that can happen there. And, um, and mental health, and the other, the other statistics that are really interesting, not at all surprising to me, but really interesting, are that um, urinary incontinence is one of the best predictors of um, uh, postpartum depression. Um, yeah, and and same thing with you know back pain for women in their you know forties and fifties. Ninety six. There was a there was kind of a landmark study that was done um, several years ago. It's a Canadian study that showed that ninety six percent of women with chronic low back pain had pelvic dysfunction. Um, and so we're just we're not putting those together. We're not we're just not looking at at people as full human beings, we're looking at them as their mental health, and then we're looking at them as their back pain and as their pelvic dysfunction. Right. But it's really all, it's really all just pieces of the same puzzle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we're looking at it as like individual silos. Totally. Totally. What, what percentage of women, you know, struggle with, uh, like, who, you know, go through pregnancy, struggle with, uh, you know, pelvic related issues? Okay, you ready? <laughs> One in three women will um, experience urinary incontinence. That's over the lifetime, so it's not um, immediately after birth that one or three women are leaking. Um, that rate, uh, I don't want to get it wrong, but I think it's more about one in seven. Um, but, so what happens is that, you know, it's not just pelvic health and, and urinary incontinence is not just something that happens once in a lifetime and then you either have it for the rest of your life or you don't. Um, typically what happens is that, um, you know, there are risk factors for, I'm talking about urinary incontinence because that's just, but there are lots of um, pelvic dysfunctions, pelvic organ prolapse and mm -hmm. sexual pain and vaginismus, that kind of stuff. Um, but with urinary incontinence in particular, um, kind of one in seven women will experience it after a vaginal delivery. And then you go through your entire life, maybe you struggle a little bit. 
and then hormones change on you again during menopause, mm -hmm. and that little bit of pelvic dysfunction that you had throughout your whole life turns into something completely different, and now maybe you're a surgical candidate mm -hmm. when um, pelvic floor physiotherapy intervention a couple decades earlier mm -hmm. could have um, saved you from what is now your reality. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the statistics with um, incontinence is one in three women with pelvic organ prolapse. This one is a little bit tricky because just the physiology of a pregnant woman's body and the nap. So one in two women will experience um, pelvic organ descent and it's graded differently. We don't have to get into all of that. Only one in five will probably be symptomatic for mm -hmm. pelvic organ prolapse, but that one's a really big deal. So incontinence is one thing, but having your organs descend um, and not being supported by the pelvic floor from below is something completely different. And um, that's really quite terrifying for yeah. women. Okay. 75% um, of pregnant women, I think it's probably closer to 100, frankly, will experience pelvic girdle pain during pregnancy. So um, pain in the lumbo-pelvic hip complex. Um, and then... And then beyond too, right? We talked about that low back pain being really closely intertwined with pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. 75% of women um, at some point in their life, again, this um, we think we have the numbers right, although we yeah. don't do the studies to see are we actually getting the numbers right. Yeah. So 75% around there. Um, of women will experience pain with consensual um, intercourse. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, lots of lots of stuff, and these things can all be really quite effectively managed, um, treated, and cured, frankly, mm -hmm. through pelvic physiotherapy. Um, so it's really highly effective um, and, a, and a good treatment option for people. Yeah, lots of really high numbers there, actually. High numbers. Didn't expect it. Yeah, yeah, I know. And how, so kind of connecting those numbers with what you do then, in, mm -hmm. in your experience, how effective is the, the, the pelvic uh, physiotherapy? Well, I mean, in my experience, it yeah. doesn't really matter, right? In the literature, um, the literature shows that for urinary incontinence, mm -hmm. pelvic floor physiotherapy intervention is um, highly effective. We talk about cure rates. In medicine, for, for all of the students, the medical professionals who are listening to this, in medicine, we don't often talk about cure rates, right? We talk about managing, we talk about, you know, keeping things under control, that kind of stuff. Um, with pelvic physiotherapy and incontinence, we talk about cure rates. So you can go from leaking to no longer leaking, which is a really big deal, frankly. Um, and rates up in the, um, anywhere from 50 and some studies show um, over 80%. So that's like, I mean, and that's worth a shot. Yeah, right, and then again, in my experience, um, it it reflects that it's mm -hmm. it's really quite high. Mm -hmm. Yeah, gotcha. That's pretty impressive. When we're like as pharmacists, when we're in school, you know, we're we're always taught about the the, the drug measures mm -hmm. managing symptoms. Mm -hmm. But like you said, it's not it's not a cure though. Exactly. Right? And I think a lot of our a lot of patients they they want something. They want a cure. They don't want to be on a medication mm -hmm. forever. Earlier you were, sorry, going back a little bit, earlier you were talking about, um, you were you were saying that you're you're working on trying to, trying to change the system. Um, what sort of, I guess like what sort of um, 
projects are you working on to try to try to facilitate that, you know, both in, inside your practice and outside of your practice? Mm -hmm. So the first one is um, kind of encouraging women to be autonomous, um, autonomous kind of users of the healthcare system, right? So if, if people are not asking you about your pelvic health, then bring it up, right? Even though it's a little bit of an embarrassing topic, you're talking with your doctor, you're talking with your midwife, they've seen you give birth, right? So, so they know that your pelvic floor has gone through a little bit of, um, of stretch. We'll just leave it at that. Um, so, so yeah, just encouraging women to be really thoughtful consumers of healthcare um, and managing their own symptoms and not waiting for someone to ask about that. So, so that's number one, and I do that through my practice, um, just kind of, you know, through conversations with my clients. I also do that a little bit, or I try to anyways, on social media. So there are lots of people who um, are just not ready for an appointment for whatever reason. But as long as they know that the service is out there, then at some point they may become ready for that. So there's that. And then um, kind of on the healthcare side, I do have um, I do have ideas of how I want things to look, how I want things to change. Number one, um, like I said, I want healthcare providers to ask the questions. Sometimes they don't know what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. They also don't know what to do with the answers mm -hmm. that they might get. Right. And so maybe it's just safer not to ask to ask the question. So um, in the same way, oh, you guys might not know this. So you're followed back to that continuum of care. Right. So you're yeah. followed um, by your birth care provider until six weeks. Usually if there's nothing else going on at six weeks, you're kind of discharged. Mm -hmm. And women are cleared for return to activity without any guidance, mm -hmm. return to um, intercourse without any guidance. Mm -hmm return to all kinds of different things just at six weeks. Um, and, and then the next kind of point of contact with the healthcare system is for your child's immunizations. And so that happens through the public health centers. There are nurses there. Um, I think that would be another appropriate time by an, a different provider um, to be asking mom about how they're doing the shift the focus really shifts mm -hmm. away from yeah. mom after you have a baby because there's yeah. this brand new newborn baby and we have to make sure they're healthy mm -hmm. and, and thriving and that kind of stuff and so mom just really takes a back seat mm -hmm. um, but yeah that point of contact would be um, another good one and at that eight week appointment so your your baby's first immunization you're handed a questionnaire um, to fill out about mental health. Mm -hmm. And so what I would love to see is you're also handed a questionnaire about your pelvic health. Um, so that's what I'm trying to work on right now. There are, I'm finding lots of barriers to getting something like that implemented. Um, but yeah, that is, that is the change that I would like to see. Mm -hmm. And, um, and even if, even if people, even if the doctors don't know, or the midwives, or the nurses, or whoever doesn't know what questions to ask them, here you have this questionnaire, and if you don't know what to do with the answers, well, the answer is talk to a pelvic physiotherapist because they can guide you in the right direction. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. So Jill, um, you know, you you obviously have four kids, which is a lot on its own. You yeah, know, it's a yeah. lot of kids. <laughs> <laughs> you have your practice, and you're you know you're you're heavily involved in trying to change the way that the the healthcare system works, and in order to you know help um, this this population that you're so passionate about. Mm-hmm. How do you find the time to, to manage all those things? What, what does a day-to-day look like for you? Um, it's a struggle. So my, um, I'm currently technically still on a maternity leave right now. I have a seven-month-old at home. He's just about seven months old. Um, and so I'm using this time where my clinic duties are really quite low. Like I'm, I'll just go in to see... Um, some patients who've been on my caseload for a long time who just won't see anyone else. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll go into the clinic probably for a few hours every week right now. Um, and then I'm using um, all of my other time to be a mom and um, take care of all of my, you know, dropping kids off at school yeah. and getting my kids ready for this and taking them to, you know, whatever activity. Um, so yeah, I do, I do try to carve out as much time where I'm not working mm-hmm. and just being, just being present with my kids. Mm-hmm. That's really important. Um, and then, and then the really, the really cool thing about finding something that you're passionate about within your profession is that all of the things, all of the things that seem like a lot of work. Um, you're not struggling through you're just trying to you're just trying to make as much headway as you possibly can mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it's an exciting kind of work it doesn't seem like a monotonous yeah. studying in school for exams kind of work um, and and yeah so I mean the way I juggle it is I try to set aside my home time and then when I'm at work I can actually work on all of these things. When in January I'll go back to, it's December right now, <laughs> in January when I go back to um, to clinic I'll go back still part time so it will just be um, two evenings a week is what I'll start with mm-hmm. and I can just be there doing my clinic work and then when I'm at home I'm just at home mm-hmm. um, yeah so it's just it's just scheduling yeah. and it's just you know trying to figure out the childcare piece mm-hmm. is another really big one um, for moms when they return to work thankfully we have um, we have family and we have a pretty regular babysitter who helps with the mm-hmm. kids um, but yeah it's a I mean it's a struggle. It's a juggle for sure. But like I said, when you find something in your work that you want to keep pursuing and you mm-hmm. want to keep doing, it doesn't seem like, oh, I have to go to work today. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a little bit of a different focus. And so I encourage I encourage people to find that ideally within what you're already trained to do, because that just makes it easier. Yeah. Right. But if you if you hate your job. You're going to, I mean, why stay in something that you absolutely loathe? Because Mm -hmm. that's just death by a million cuts, right? So, um, yeah, I would encourage people to find what it is that kind of lights that fire underneath them um, and gives them the energy to keep going. 
Do you have any advice though for young for young professionals that are still looking for that passion? Yeah, that's still a good haven't question. quite found it. So the tricky thing, the really tricky thing about healthcare professionals is that you're usually like a bright person who's done well at school and who's just gone through your whole like you did well in high school and you got good grades and you went into university and you got good grades and then you found yourself all of a sudden in a professional program that you had the grades to get into and you're like oh but I don't know if this is actually what I want to do right so um, I would encourage young people who are just kind of starting out to reflect back maybe and think about what is it throughout my whole life not not just you know what have I been able to achieve academically but what is it that I like doing you know and if that has to do with healthcare great if it has to do with birds then then maybe you're not and maybe you're not pursuing the right thing so um, I, I always and I tell this to my young kids too it's like you're going to learn the best when you are doing something that you love, right? You will learn so many things um, by, by going out in nature and again, looking at birds and animals and, and that kind of stuff, right? So it doesn't all have to be um, on this kind of conveyor belt yeah. that we're all on. Um, so yeah, I would just get out there, try different things expose yourself to as many different things as possible and the things that are easy for you and the things that are fun mm -hmm. for you and the things that you like doing the universe is trying to push you in that direction mm -hmm. the things that are just like oh my gosh i cannot i had courses like that in university for sure yeah, right yeah. where you just it's just like pulling teeth mm -hmm. and again the universe is trying to steer you away from that you're not good like you're not naturally good at it so don't spend your whole life in things that you're not naturally, um, I mean, you might like, just because you're a smart person, you might go through it and you might get the A that you need, but that doesn't mean that you like it. So get out <laughs> and get out as young as you can um, to, to be able to find that thing that you can move forward with, with, with so much passion and enjoyment. Um, yeah. I should really like, what you mentioned there with the conveyor belt. Yeah. Honestly, I think a lot of young people, I, I'd say partially including myself, you're, you've taken that step, you, you've got on the conveyor belt, yeah. you got into university, now an opportunity comes up to get into a professional school. Yeah. Do that, now an opportunity comes to this high paying job somewhere, let's do totally. that. Without ever stopping, without getting off and taking a look whether or not this is what you want to do. Totally, and then before you know it, you're 50 years old. Mm -hmm. And I mean, sure, you have a nice house, you have your kids, but now your kids are on the conveyor belt, right? So um, being a parent has, um, has really kind of, being a parent and also having my own practice and having, I've been fortunate enough to find something within my, like the profession that I was already in um, that gives me that fire, um, which I think is really fortunate. Um, but yeah, now I'm trying to think, with my kids, how can I make sure that they don't end up on in the factory? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, you 
you mentioned an interesting thing before, and this goes back to, you know, um, just having a lot of things on the go with a lot of kids. And, mm-hmm. and earlier we were talking about the importance of mental health. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you make sure that you, you know, like while all of these things are happening, how do you make sure that you keep your mental health in, in check? Excellent question. This is a this is a big one for me because it's just so prevalent in the population um, that I treat mostly in my practice, which is this perinatal. So just basic self-care um, for, for women, for new moms who are in charge of you know, the daily activities, the basic bodily functions, everything of their kids, right? It can be really easy to say, um, you know, I have to spend all of my energy, all of my everything, pour myself into this without taking a step back and realizing that the best thing that I can do for my kids is be healthy myself. Mm-hmm. One of the very best predictors of kind of family well being is the um, mental health, physical wellness mm-hmm. of the mom. So I really try to encourage women to just at a very basic level, get enough sleep, mm-hmm. which is difficult when you're up breastfeeding all night. So get enough sleep, um, drink lots of water is really important for your pelvic health, eat good food, get some sunshine in your life, go out um, and be in nature, find a community, so isolation is a really big one, especially in our northern winters. If you have a baby in like December, um, it can be really hard to achieve all of those things. So just really basic self-care stuff um, is what I tell all of my kids. Exercise um, is you know a really a really really big one, frankly, um, and so. So all of that kind of stuff I try to encourage my patients to do and then I also try to take that advice nice. myself. So that's how I, that's honestly how I take care of myself mentally um, is just try to hit as many of those basic needs as possible and anything beyond that like a, you know, a grocery store trip by yourself, that's just bonus. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? It's it's interesting that you bring that up. You know, as I think often as healthcare providers, mm-hmm. we're so good at giving advice, mm-hmm. but we're terrible at taking our own advice. Oh, totally, us. totally. I wanted to switch gears a little bit here, and um, you know, again, it's sort of on the topic of just having a lot of things on the go. One one of the thing, one of the common trends that I know for for sure that I've I've personally experienced as well too is that. You know, you you not only have kids, you have a significant other, and you know all these things are happening, right? How do you ensure that you can still find time for uh, to spend with your significant other, spend time with the family, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you how do you find that balance? So, like, what are what are some things that you practice and that you really live by? Number one is changing mindset. <laughs> so, um, in the beginning, when we just had one kid, mm-hmm. it was easy to kind of carve out some time just to spend with your significant other. And mm-hmm. although I think that's really important, um, the more kids you have, the more infrequent that yeah. becomes. Mm-hmm. 
And so, frankly, um, what I've tried to do, and, and this is just what has worked for me, mm-hmm. maybe for people who don't have as many kids, they can actually still carve out that time. But, um, you know, I, I kind of had kids for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so I had kids not to, you know, take time away from them. I'm already doing that at work and I'm already doing that with, um, you know, just taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. And so those times that you, and not to say that we don't ever do things just by ourselves, yeah. right? Um, but those times where um, you would have just gone out for dinner only with your significant other, mm-hmm. maybe you do something as a family. So that quality time, because again, so I, I work clinically part-time, I have my administrative duties and then I also have my home duties. My husband is in a kind of corporate job where he works all day and then is home just for you know a small amount of our kids waking hours mm-hmm. and so why would we take some of that time away to just go do something by ourselves when we could use that time to be together as a family yeah. so changing mindset and this is just a season yeah. of our lives mm-hmm. um, and the seasons will change again our kids will not need us so intensely as they do right now like my oldest one is five and my youngest one is seven months and so they won't need us in the same way i mean they probably won't want to be around us when they're teenagers and so we'll have time to do whatever we want <laughs> you're looking forward yeah. yeah yeah no absolutely um i guess like when you first opened up your your practice mm-hmm. right was that was that a big learning curve for you when you know when like to start up a, a startup operation is obviously quite challenging in mm-hmm. itself right um, and I just kind of want to better understand the timeline here. Like, did you have your first kid by? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, the timeline for me was that I graduated physiotherapy school in 2010. I worked as an orthopedic physiotherapist until um, my first child was born in 2013. I took some time off and on that maternity leave, that's when I was kind of struggling through my own things. And so I was doing my own self-study and you know being a patient of physiotherapy myself in that time then when I went back to work I did go back to work with kind of a lens of women's health but I hadn't transitioned over yet so then I worked for another couple of years until I had my twins Um, then when I had them I took all of the necessary um, postgraduate education and courses to be a full pelvic physiotherapist Um, And so when I returned to work, then I had transitioned my practice completely over um, and have been working as a pelvic physio since then. So it's been a few years now. Um, Although, like I said, I was was still treating with a lens of of women's health and pelvic physio before that, I, I didn't kind of transition my practice completely over until 2015 Mm -hmm. so so yeah and then after (laughs) it really sounds silly when I say like oh yeah in 2015 I was on maternity leave with my twins I was taking all these courses I was you know building a business but again when you find the thing that just drives you Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't seem like work in Mm -hmm. the same way It, it feels like um, just the logical next step 
there are some obstacles, if you want to call that, um, needed to overcome to be able to get to that point. Um, but it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like, oh, now I get to go take this course. Yeah. And oh, now I get to learn about you know different um, EMR, like electronic medical records mm-hmm. system, right? So I get to kind of research what is it that I want yeah. um, to have in my practice here. And oh, now I get to learn about um, kind of all the back end stuff with uh, business. So it was it was really quite fun. Um, of course, there there was stress involved with it, mm-hmm. but again, when you kind of find those things that um, just kind of set your soul on fire, it's um, it's really easy to do the work. Yeah. yeah. Clearly, you love what you're doing. It, it drives you every day by the mm-hmm. sounds of it. Um, I'm actually kind of curious about the other side of things in terms of. Obviously, you see women that may have struggled for weeks, months, or even years. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever find, does it ever frustrate you when they come in and then they, they haven't been able to get help or they may never actually access the healthcare system? Yes. There are some times where I go like, God, why didn't any, yeah. like, why hasn't anyone asked you about this? Um, I, I get it, though, right? Like, I, I get where where our medical system kind of is right now. Um, it's trending in a positive direction, and so I'm kind of happy about that. But yeah, there are there are some, we mentioned pelvic organ prolapse earlier in this in the conversation, and so particularly where the organs have just come down now where, you know, a pessary is not gonna do it, or, um, you know, just kind of strengthening up the the muscles from below are not going to do it. We're actually now in kind of a surgical situation, and the the failure rates for gynecological surgery are really high. Like one in three will fail. So it's um so yeah when I when I get women and I'm like ah. Oh, if only, right? Mm-hmm. If only some. So yes, there is some frustration involved with it, but you just have to meet people where they are and say, okay, this is the lay of the land, and this is how we move forward. And you're, we're gonna do whatever we can possible to make sure that you're not one of those failure um, surgeries. And we just take it, take it as you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I think as healthcare professionals, well, and then you've kind of mentioned this as well, but we all kind of hit that point sometimes where uh, there's only so much we can do for an individual. And then I think in our profession as well, that we can see that sometimes we've exhausted all medical measures and all all of other measures that we can think of. And then we feel quite helpless at this point. Have you ever gotten to that point with a patient where you've, you've exhausted all measures and things are still not getting better? Yeah, the, the really cool thing about physio in general, pelvic physio maybe even a little bit more so, is that um, there's not, there are some things that I can do that are going to help your situation, Um, but there's not, I mean, there's not like this whole big toolkit of things that I can do to you that are going to make your life better. Mm -hmm. Really, it's about, okay, Here's here are the here are the steps that you can take. Here are the things that from listening to you and from seeing your body and from feeling your pelvis and your pelvic floor, here are the things that I think can be working better. Here's how you can get them working better. You got to do it. You know. Um, so there was a um, one of my mentors gave me this really this really great analogy. 
my job is really just to point the flashlight in the direction that you need to go and your job is to walk that way um, when I see you over on this on this trajectory and you're you're you know it's it's so hard when you're when you're living in it sometimes and and you know symptoms are just kind of swirling around you and you feel like you're helpless it can be really helpful to have someone just sit down with you and listen to your story which doesn't often happen in a six-minute medical doctor's office or with a very short conversation with whoever um, but if you have the opportunity to really listen to someone's story and um, kind of pick out like, oh, well, you said this, do you realize how this and this symptom are, are correlated? And they're like, oh, actually, no, I, I didn't ever. And so that's just kind of like, okay, well, then instead of walking this way, why don't you walk this way? And they're like, okay, sure. And then really they own their recovery um, in that way. And it can be, yeah, it can be really kind of life-changing. For people so yes although I do get really frustrated sometimes and again we talked about seasons of life for new moms it's um, the the reality of it is sometimes that you might not have the opportunity to dedicate a lot of time and energy and effort and resources into what you need to be doing um, so I try to give people just the as much information as they can tolerate at that time um, and they can make small steps they can make giant leaps they can do whatever they they can I mean they really are in charge you um, empower them to do things exactly and to take that extra step exactly yeah yeah thank you you know um, one of the things I guess like you know you, you talked about pointing the flashlight in, in one direction just to just to wrap things up here, I wanted I wanted to make sure that we we had the time to touch on, you know, one of the um, I guess one thing that you would want to make sure that you know our, our audience is able to really take away from this, and one thing that is just really really fundamentally important to you that you just want the, the audience to learn to be able to, it, and it could be to point them in, in one direction, or mm -hmm. it could just be a general um, piece of life advice. It may not even be health. It's going to be clinical. So, <laughs> so, so um, here's the thing, is that lots of times, the majority of the time, people, if they do get the courage to say, like, listen, I am experiencing this stuff, or their doctor has, um, doctor or whatever healthcare provider has said, um, you know, are you dealing with this with this stuff? Usually, the recommendation is okay. We'll go home and, and work on your pelvic floor, do some kegels, do some contractions. The research is really quite clear in saying that um, with verbal instruction alone, or with like reading it on the internet or or whatever. The internet is terrible, by the way, um, <laughs> particularly for the pelvic organ prolapse group because you just see these pictures and they're mm -hmm. terrifying. And all of the advice out there is there's no hope, you're gonna need surgery, just go do it now. And and so just don't listen to that, just go see your, your friendly neighborhood pelvic physio. Um, but with verbal instruction alone, the majority of people are not doing, men and women, everyone has a pelvic floor, the majority of people are not doing a pelvic floor contraction correctly. And so you go home and you're doing 100 of the wrong exercise, well that's not gonna help situation, right? So a pelvic floor contraction, everybody, is 
when you are trying to stop gas from coming out, you're trying to stop urine from coming out, you are, it's not a bum squeeze, it's not, um, it's not squeezing your knees together, it's not an abdominal contraction, it's also not bearing down, it's not, so it's a whole bunch of, the, it's none of those, it's a closure and a lift. If you can't feel the closure and you can't feel the lift, you might need someone um, to help you figure out how to do that contraction a little bit better. Because again, you're not going to stop, you're not going to stop urine coming out by clenching your bum. And you're not gonna stop gas from coming out by squeezing your knees together. Um, I mean, just go, keep your eyes open now for all of the women in your life, men too. Here's, here's the thing, is that with um, as much as, as passionate as I, as I am about pelvic health and women's health in general, um, the state of affairs for men's pelvic health is, is even further behind. So the, the number of men, frankly, who um, you know, go through prostatectomy and have their own struggles there are very few women's public health practitioners. There are far less um, pelvic physiotherapists who specialize in men's health. Mm -hmm. um, and so post-prostatectomy and other, other things, um, surgeries and just injuries in general, you know, men are left with um, really quite debilitating incontinence of urine and feces sometimes, um, sexual dysfunction, which can be um, again, we talked about mental health, but that can be a really big issue for men throughout the lifespan, you know, sometimes in middle age, young middle age, and then, and then, you know, even older people are still sexually active and that's a big part of who they are. So, um, so yeah, men and women, everyone has a pelvic floor. If you're not able to close and lift and just as importantly, let go of the pelvic floor too, so you can't be living your life at 100 up here, that comes with its own problems. So then you also have to feel the down and out portion. If that, if that is difficult for you, then um, I highly recommend an appointment with a, with a physiotherapist. Thank you, thank you for that. You know, it's, it's so amazing to see someone so passionate about, about this, this niche that's truly impacting many many mm -hmm. people's lives yeah you betcha where can um you know of course uh, some of our audience may have questions where can they reach you what you know where's your clinic located you know do you have social media pages that they can follow you at mm -hmm. sure yeah you betcha so my um my clinic is located in south edmonton um we were talking a little bit before this conversation my practice in the new year is going to be morphing into something a little bit different um, so although I have my bounce back physiotherapy practice right now, it's actually going to be incorporated into a larger umbrella um, called Pine Integrated Health Center, where we'll have, um, where patients who come to Pine will have access to um, pelvic physiotherapy and psychology and massage and acupuncture and um, fitness and all of that kind of under one roof because part of the problem is that A, you don't know that these services exist and can help you, and B, even if you do know they exist, well, where do you go to find them? Mm -hmm. So um, we're, we're trying to address those issues by bringing things under one roof. 
on social media. So that's also going to be located in um, South Edmonton. Excuse me. On social media, you can find me. I am YEG Pelvic Physio um, on Instagram. On Facebook, I'm Bounce Back Physical Therapy. My website is bouncebackphysio.ca and I have a little blog up there with some topics um, when I have 10 minutes to write something. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of where you can find me. I said we really appreciate your time. I yeah. think we as well as our listeners, I'm sure, have learned a lot. I think Great. actually a lot of surprising things have come out, I think, of this conversation as well. Great, I'm glad. Really appreciate your time. And um, that's it. That's it. Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. you're welcome. Hey guys, I hope you really enjoyed this interview. One of the most important takeaways from this is, you know, really finding your passion. Jill talks about how you know that you've been able to find your passion when work no longer feels like work. She also talks about the importance of not falling victim towards becoming content and, you know, getting stuck on this conveyor belt and just, you know, going through the motions. But I think the, the most, most, most important takeaway from this is the importance of upkeeping your mental health. You know, even though you may be pursuing all these different ambitions, all these different projects, you still need to exercise, you still got to eat healthy, and you still got to surround yourself with a positive support group. That's it, guys. You know, really hope you guys enjoyed this interview. I know we did for sure. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Let us know in the comments below, you know, what, what sort of other interviews, what sort of other healthcare practitioners you'd like to see. And we look forward to uh, hearing from you soon.